I think you guys have heard before, maybe sharing briefly, um, about one of the missionaries that's just captured my heart and my attention. His name is C.T. Studd. He was born there in, to a wealthy family in England in the 1860s. Um, he became what we might in our vernacular in this culture call a baller. Uh, on the cricket field, he was lethal. Um, so much so that early on in college, he became the captain of his team. Um, he, he was, he, he was headed on a path to fame, to fortune. Uh, in fact, um, he grew up in a really wealthy family. His dad had made a lot of money in India and come back. And, and so he was in a wealthy family. Um, he, he was again, a, a great athlete. And so he was well recognized, but something happened in CT Studd's life that changed him forever. And it was this, he encountered Jesus Christ. And when C.T. Studd encountered Jesus Christ, it transformed him, the salvation of his soul. And God called him, and he becomes this great missionary to Africa, to India, to China. God begins to use him. And listen, it becomes so great that he leaves and walks away from his family's wealth, from, from his great fame as this great cricket player. When asked the question, why would you trade that wealth, that fame, that notoriety to go and to be some obscure person in this land that seemingly has no purpose listen to what he says if jesus christ be god and died for me then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him if jesus christ be god and he died for me then no sacrifice for me to make for him can be too great i think the story of ct stub reminds us that lure of wealth the comfort success it was very real for him but the bible says it was also very real for us in fact, in today's story, we're going to hear about a man who loves his wealth, his money, so much that he walks away from Jesus and eternal life for it. Hear that for a moment. This man loved his money, his wealth so much that he walks away from Jesus and eternal life for it. Maybe I would ask this question this morning as we start. What is it that's keeping you from eternal life? What is it that's keeping you from eternal life? I want to share this hope today that salvation is completely impossible if left up to us. But our God can do the impossible. Salvation is completely impossible if left up to us. But our God can do the impossible. In today's text, there's three questions either directly asked or inferred from the text. And this is the first one. The first text or the first question is this, right? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Secondly, the question is kind of posed. Can a camel pass through the, the eye of a needle the th- where the thread, of the, the, the thread would go through the eye of the needle? Can a camel pass through that? And then third, Peter asked the question, is giving up our treasure worth it? Is giving up our treasure worth it? So today, hear this truth. Salvation is impossible apart from God salvation is impossible apart from god so let's let's again ask that first question that's posed in the text what good deed must i do to have eternal life in other words how do i punch my ticket to heaven how do i get on that train and make sure i'm good to go and i think this first truth arises from that our imperfections make it impossible for us to have eternal life If you're thinking today that you can be good enough, that somehow you could do enough good things, I want the text today to come against that thought and you're in my heart to say that our imperfections, our sin, make it impossible for us to be good enough to have eternal life. So watch what happens as this man comes to Jesus, beginning in verse 16. Behold, a man came up to him saying, 
Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, the story here, right, you may have heard this man before. He's called the rich young ruler. Why? Well, verse 22 says that he's rich. Verse 20 says that he's young. And the same story is told in Luke 18. And verse 18 there says this man's a ruler. So the story's been called the story of the rich young ruler. But he asked an important question, right? Look what his question is. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's what at the heart of it. Right. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter three in the Old Testament says that God has set eternity in the hearts of all people, that every person here has some thought, some dealing, some wrestling with what happens after death. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever wrestled? What happens after I die? Maybe somebody you love has died and you wondered even today, where are they? What happens next? So this is a question about eternity, one that I think we must all wrestle with. And so Jesus responds again, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one that's good. There's only one God. There's only one good one. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, right, the man asked, well, which ones? And Jesus says, he begins there at the, the second half of the Ten Commandments, right? Talking about love of neighbor. Look what he says. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this Jesus gives this list and look what this, look what this man's response is. This is an amazing moment. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. Wow. Now, Jesus has just said to him, why do you call me good? Because there's only one that's good. And he says, you want to know what goodness looks like? Here's what it looks like. Here's God's law. And the guy says, you know what, if that's the law, I'm good because I've kept that. In other words, I must be as good as God. But he's still wrestling with something. Did you hear it? He says, what do I still lack? There's a sense in which he's struggling, right? Wrestling with something more. Right? And so that's just this great moment of pride this man has. And I think it's the truth is, right, despite all of our moral living, we still realize that something isn't right. No matter how good of a person you are here today, something's not right. And so listen, this past week, Emily and I were walking, watching a documentary on the American gospel, and it was interesting, right? Just comparing how, how the gospel often gets presented here in America to the truth of what the gospel actually is. And, and they showed an image, right? And talking through different groups of people that believe that often salvation is by works. And so they were wrestling with what do Catholics believe, right? What about Muslims or the nation of Islam, right? What about Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses and on and on? And so they threw up a couple images that I thought were really powerful in light of this text today. Again, this question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Look what happens here, this image. So there are many groups, right, who believe this. They believe that faith, it's a good thing, but it's not sufficient. So faith needs works to earn salvation, right? They would say, listen, as you look at your life, it's what you do, right? Ultimately, it's the root, right? It's producing that salvation. So if you're a good enough person, if you do enough good deeds, just like this man, right? They believe that, guess what? You can have salvation. But in fact, what we're going to find today is that's not what Jesus teaches at all. And that's not what the Bible teaches, Look what happens here, the second imagery, as you think about Christianity. Christianity says to us, and Jesus will say to us in the text today, that faith equals salvation, that produces works. Did you notice the transformation that happened? It's faith. It's no work of yourself, right? You're here in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves, not of works. 
so that no one may boast. So the Bible teaches that faith is actually, right? It is grace through faith that we come believing upon Christ, that God credits Christ's work to us. Salvation comes to us. And so now the works are not in fact the root, but they're the fruit. The works themselves show the fact that we've truly been born again, that we have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this man is wrestling with that, asking that question, right? He wants to know, right? What about my works? Can my works earn me salvation? And Jesus is going to tell him, no, it's by faith alone, right? He's going to show him the deficiency of his works, that it's not sufficient. So Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So again, Jesus, right, this man says, well, hey, guess what? I'm good, right? So Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, right, that word indicates complete, right? Look what he says to him. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor. Now, there's moments when we see the apostles, the disciples, walking away from everything they have. But I'm not aware of any other incident in Scripture where God specifically asked someone to sell everything that they own and give it all away. So I think it's important that we shouldn't take this one example and say, well, that's the standard. But something else is happening here. Jesus knows that this man is what we might call a moral man, right? He, he doesn't, listen, Jesus doesn't say this man hasn't kept the commandments. But I think he's saying something deeper to this man and to us here. And it's this, that morality may keep us out of jail, but morality will not keep us out of hell. Hear it again. Morality may keep you and I out of jail, But it won't keep us out of hell. In other words, being a good person isn't going to get you there. This is a moment in which it comes back. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of that person to give the shirt off their back. There's a lot of give the shirt off your back kind of people that are going to be in hell. Why? Because they're trying to be good enough. They think that giving the shirt off their back is why God's going to accept them. Guys, Jesus says... And shows this man right here something deeper that's happening. Jesus is saying to this man, listen, oh, oh, you've obeyed the law perfectly, have you? Really, you have. Then he says, then why don't we just start with the first commandment? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other what? God's before me. And in a moment when he asked this man to sell everything and give it to the poor... The text records in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus says, you've kept the law, have you? So why don't we just start with the first commandment to have no other gods before me? And he asked the man to give up the God of his life. Why? Because Jesus, God always sees into our hearts, right? He knows the gods of your life and my life. And he asked the man to surrender the God that he most values his wealth his money why it provides security it provides his peace it provides his hope it provides his assurance it provides the 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 pathway to all of his dreams and jesus says would you give up that god for me and that man just literally walks away right he walks away sad I, i think jesus is is going deeper like he's been doing throughout matthew's gospel right i mean we heard it back in matthew 5 27 and 28 in moments like when Jesus said, you've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I I tell you the truth, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her where? In the heart. 
Right? I mean, because, Lynn, lots of us think that we're good because we haven't done these things outwardly. And God, Jesus is just saying, guys, I want you to know it's so much deeper than just what you're doing outwardly. I'm looking at your heart. Let's be honest. None of us measure up. None of us are perfect. None of us are good enough. And yet, I love this moment, right? I mean, this moment of hope, this, this moment of tenderness, gentleness. That despite the fact that Jesus knows this guy's in love with another God, he still invites him to leave that God and come and follow him. Look what he says. If you be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Listen to this statement, invitation here. And he says to him, come follow me. Ever so subtly, Jesus offers to this man who's in love with other gods a way out and a way to eternal life. And it's what John 14, 6 says, isn't it? I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You might ask the question, why is Jesus the one to follow? Right? Like, why, why, why would this man even consider giving, selling everything he owns and to give that up? Like, why would we do that? And I think as a reminder, it's because how Jesus accomplishes eternal life. Because guess what he does? He actually obeys the law perfectly. He lives a sinless life never once, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. He's perfect before God. He always does the right thing. He always pleases God. And here's the good news. The Bible says, right, it's in the midst of accounting season, right? The Bible says that there's some credits and debits that take place by faith alone. And it's this, that today if you are willing to turn from those gods of this world and look upon Christ. The Bible says that God credits Jesus' perfect life to you. His perfected perfected life becomes credited to your account. And guess what? Not only does God make a credit, this is how good God is. He also makes a debit. And He takes your and my sinfulness, all the stuff we're hiding behind our vests this morning, and by faith in Christ, He takes that and puts it to Christ's account and He pays the debt to God that we could never pay. It's this hope of the gospel. I mean, this is a moment, isn't it? I think it says to us, wow, because He dies on the cross, He's buried in the third day, raised again. Guys, Jesus is the only one to follow. It reminds me of, I don't know about you, but... I remember as a kid, I was scared of the dark, and just guess what? I, I pass it on to my kids. They're scared of the dark sometimes too, right? I don't know. Anybody else in here scared of the dark at times? Right? Yeah, I think we all, yeah. I see some hands. Yeah, it's just reality, right? We struggle with that. So, so what I, I've kind of encountered, found out with my kiddos is, is sometimes like going in the basement, it's dark, and they're like, Dad, Mom, would you guys go with me? Right? And they're just kind of like, just not, just not, just not ready to make that commitment to go into the dark. But something changes. When Mom and Dad begin to go down those steps and open that door in the darkness, They're willing to follow right behind. There's a sense like sometimes they're even talking. There's like a joy. There's a peace. There's a calmness. Why? Has anything about their strength changed in that moment? No. But the strength and the courage of the one they are following makes all the difference. Church, we cannot walk into the presence of God as we are. We can't face the darkness of this world as we are. But there is good news. There is one to follow. And His strength is enough. His grace is enough. His peace is enough. His hope is enough. His name is Jesus. 
In the biography of C.T. Studd's life, you were hearing about him earlier, that, that man who left cricket and, and the fame and the fortune of his family and, and went to Africa and India and China and, and proclaiming the gospel. A man in, the, in his biography writes these words. C.T.'s life stands as a sign to all succeeding generations that it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. His life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. He has demonstrated what it means to follow Christ without counting the cost and without looking back. I think C.T. Studd's life and the life of this rich man and his his willingness to hold on to these things and walk away from Jesus has to pose a question to all of us today. Maybe you need to ask this question. What do I treasure as of more worth than Christ? What do I treasure as of more worth than Christ? Maybe today, in just light of this man, I mean, when the young man heard this, he went away. He went away. I mean, it's been said that the only way to leave Jesus is sorrowful, right? I mean, you're you're leading, you're leaving joy and peace. And so maybe today you might just ask, like, is wealth or the pursuit of wealth keeping you out of church or at least coming consistently? Have you found that maybe the pursuit of wealth or earthly things keep you from serving faithfully in the church or Maybe you can't ever go on mission trips because you're always busy. And it's just because you're, you're pursuing the world. I think we all, in light of this, this man goes, he walks away from, guys, he walks away from Jesus. I think we all need to hear in this Jesus question, what would it profit you and I to gain this entire world and lose our souls? So the man again asks, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The answer is to come and follow Jesus. But now we come to our second question. And our second question is, can a camel go through the eye of a needle? And I think this truth arises from that. Our idols make it impossible for us to have eternal life, but God can do the impossible. Our idols make it impossible for us to ever be good enough or earn it on our own. But guys, have hope today. Our God can do the impossible. The story turns as Jesus now looks at the disciples in verse 23 and he says to them, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Man, we just need to let those verses breathe for a moment, don't we? I mean, again, thinking about the needle, the little small eye. And he says it's easier for a camel to get through that eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Before we rush on past this for a moment, I think we all need to wrestle with this, right? Gapminder is a, is a nonprofit and they study how the world is doing economically. And, and so if you see at the top of the screen there, there's four different levels of people, right? Those represent almost billions of people. The The truth is that economically, the vast majority of people live in tier two or level two. That means that they earn between $2 and $8 a day. In fact, half of the world makes less than $5.50 a day. Maybe if you're wondering today, I I wonder which category I'm in. Well, if you notice at the far right of the scale here, yeah, you're, it's your right too, yeah, yeah. 
This is the far right of the scale, level four. Level four represents this group of people on the earth who make more than $32 a day. And they're defined as the richest people. And, and you might, again, sometimes the, gra- the graphics there, I don't know how well you can see it, but if you wonder about which group you might be in, well, level one, those that drink water, again, look at where they're drawing water from, maybe, right? If, if this looks like your home, it's saying likely you're level four. If you think about you, how do you, how do you, how, how's your normal mode of transportation? Is it your feet? Do you ride a bike? Do you maybe have a motorcycle? Or do you possibly have a vehicle? It's saying, again, those are just indicators of level four. But again, think about that. To be in level four, the richest people on the face of the earth are those who make more than $32 a day or more than $12,000 a year. If I asked in this room for all those in level four who made more than $12,000 a year, more than $32 a day to stand up, my assumption is every single one of us in this room would stand up. What's my point? When Jesus speaks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, he's talking to us. Feel it for a moment. He says it's with great difficulty that the rich will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Guys, we as Americans must hear this text and not think, well, I mean, he's probably talking about somebody else. I know so-and-so, they're a lot better off than me. The truth is, man, we're all in this room. My assumption is level four, folks. More than $32 a day. You've got a spigot that turns on water at your house. You probably rode in a vehicle here. It's challenging, right? So listen to the disciples. They ask this question. When the disciples heard this, they're greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Now, you have to understand, why are they asking this question? Well, it's because they, like most Jews, the culture of that day expected the rich to inherit eternal life. Not because the rich people could somehow buy their way into heaven, but because they believed that those who were rich were those that God was blessing. In other words, listen, they think that, guess what, if you're rich, it meant that God was blessing you because you were living the right way. So their question now comes is, hey, listen, if those people that we think are the most blessed people on the face of the earth can't make it to heaven, then who can? And then we get this hope. I think this this moment where the text just centers and anchors right here in verse 26 of Matthew 19. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is what, church? Impossible. But with God, what, church? All things are possible. I think it's important, right? I mean, they ask the question then, right? Not only just about the rich man, they're asking who, right? Not just this rich man, but like who in general then can be saved? And Jesus, look what he says also with man, right? So, so Jesus, again, they're looking at the rich man, right, as an example, but the net begins to get cast much larger. And the question is, why is it impossible for man as a whole to come to God? And the truth is because our hearts are hardened and we value other treasures more than God. This isn't just what Jesus is saying. In fact, this is the testimony of the New Testament. I want to throw you just three quick examples of the New Testament's testimony of why it's impossible for man to come to God. Again, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. Why is it impossible? The New Testament helps us understand, get some clarity. One is Romans 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. So the mind that's set on the flesh... It's why it can't come to God. It's, 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 it's hostile to God. It cannot submit to God. Further, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul there writes, 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Why? Here he says, because they are spiritually discerned. He's not able, right? He says he cannot there in Romans 8. Now Ephesians 2 and 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The Bible is clear. It is impossible for us to come to God as we are. We can't do it. It's the agreement not only of Jesus, but of the entire New Testament. And in fact, the Bible as a whole. But guys, there's hope. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. It's the hope of the gospel. The truth is God can and does save the rich. Just like that wee little man in in Luke 19. He climbed up a sycamore tree. What was his name? Zacchaeus. God can and does save the rich. It's interesting. In John chapter 3, there's a story, not with a rich young man, but with a rich old man. And his name was Nicodemus, right? It was that Nick at night kind of moment. And he comes and he's wrestling with similar questions, asking Jesus about eternal life. And Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are what, church? Born again. He goes on to say in that statement that the flesh counts for nothing. It's just, it's humanly impossible to come to God as you are. He says, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. It is a work of God's Holy Spirit. Guys, Jesus is saying to us, the New Testament is saying that salvation, eternal life is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you add to your life. Right? It's not like a new way, a new turnover, a new new leaf, so to speak. Salvation is a new way of living. And only God can do that. As I wrote this text, right out of this manuscript this past week for the sermon, I just wrestled with this question. How might this truth that only God can do the impossible and save us transform our church? How might the fact that only God can do the impossible transform our church? I think it has to humble us to say, you know what, guys, we can't do the impossible. We can't save the people we love in our family. We can't save our friends. In fact, we as a church can't bring revival. We don't have the power and strength to do that. It's impossible. Only God can revive the church. But might our response be humble prayer? I want to ask, in light of the fact that only God can do the impossible, have you been joining us in prayer? Today is day 15 of the 40 days of prayer. If you haven't, I want to encourage you. Today will be a great day to start. In light of the fact that we cannot save anyone, that we cannot bring revival in our own strength, might I encourage you to say, hey, let's come put that truth into practice Wednesday night. Let's just gather in this church and let's pray. We encourage you. We invite you just to come and pray with us on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Or 5.30 in the sanctuary, I'm sorry. Guys, I, I, I think what we have to realize, I, I, listen, I'm stoked about the guys that are coming to preach. I mean, again, like they're, they're our own. God is called and raised up from here. I am stoked. They are faithful brothers who are going to preach the gospel. But the truth is they, nor Billy Graham, nor the Apostle Peter has ever saved anyone. Only God can do that. So we better be humbly crying out to God, bring salvation, bring revival, God. We can't do it. So Jesus has been posed with two questions, and now third and last comes this question from Peter, right? Who's there kind of standing, maybe asking a question that sometimes you've wondered. Maybe in light of this text today, this call to give up other treasures and those other gods and come follow Christ, the question comes, is giving up our treasure worth it? 
is this not foolish to think of this? And I think the answer comes ringing back to us. Yes, it's worth it because the reward that is to come. Look what happens here. Peter, then Peter says to him in reply, verse 27, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter's asking like the question we wonder, is it worth it? If I walk away from Greensburg and my family and our lands, is it worth it? If, listen, if we walk away maybe from your family business or your occupation, you, you've got to wonder today, is it worth it? If you give sacrificially to the church as we prepare again for, for Annie Armstrong here, the offering for North American missions as we give for the revival, you, you, again, we're asking you sacrificially to give. You've got to ask the question, is it worth it? Listen to Jesus' answer in verse 28. Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 28 is a challenging verse, right? And we could talk about it. Maybe you want to discuss a little bit more. I'd love to. But maybe I just in this context here, I want to say that the important note is that Jesus says judgment is coming. And He says, listen guys, I want you to know that the sacrifice that you're making is worth it. Why? Because there's going to be a judgment that is to come and there's going to be a reward that's going to be given this hope, right? I mean, listen, this idea of judgment, eternal life and salvation, it it became real Monday morning at our house. Monday morning before school, uh, it's probably about, um, thinking about 645, 650, we're we're just gathered as a family and we're in 2 Peter chapter 3. We've been making our way through the New Testament and, and in 2 Peter 3, Peter writes there about coming judgment and salvation and eternity. And we're asking the boys just different questions and specifically just saying, guys, do you, do you ever wrestle with heaven, hell, where you'll spend eternity? And the boys give a little bit of response. And then I came to Josiah. I said, Josiah, buddy, do you ever wrestle with heaven or hell or eternity? And the response came back, yeah, dad, every week. I said, when, buddy? He said, during Sunday school. It's a reminder, listen, beloved, he was sitting at my kitchen table and I'm not aware of it. Might it be a reminder to us as teachers, of Sunday school classes, children and youth workers, as grandmas and grandpas in this room, that we have no idea what God's doing in the hearts of people as we're just simply sharing the word day by day. My eight-year-old is wrestling with eternity in the basement of this building weekly. The reality is we don't know who out there is wrestling with eternity. But beloved, we've got to have those conversations. We've got to be faithful to share the gospel. In light of that, might I ask you that tomorrow night at 6 p.m. we're going to meet here in this sanctuary and we're looking as a church and as a collection of churches of the Kentucky Baptist Convention of taking the gospel to every home. If you were here when Kenny Rager was preaching, he was talking about that. Our plan is, that again... As all the churches of Green County, the Southern Baptist churches work together, we want to take the gospel to this community. Maybe you want to be a part of getting equipped, saying, hey, I, listen, I want to be on board with that. I don't know how many other 8-year-olds or 80-year-olds out there are wrestling with eternity, but I at least want to knock on their door and tell them the good news about Jesus. Might we say as a church this morning, lie this text, we want to make it really hard to go to hell from Greensburg, Kentucky. Inevitably, people are, but we want as a church to be the faithful brothers and sisters that are out there telling and sharing and loving this good news of the gospel. 
I want to challenge you to come and join us. I want to challenge us as a church. What if each of us this week set a goal to say, I want to have at least one gospel conversation. God, provide the moment and the person I want to tell someone about Jesus. Jesus goes on to encourage the rewards as this text comes to a close. And he says, verse 31, and everyone. Right, so he's been talking to the 12 and now he begins to open up, right, spread it further. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or land. Why? For my name's sake. We'll receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Did you hear that? Jesus assumes that there's going to be people who are not only willing to give up their possessions and their treasure, they're willing to walk away from the family and the land in which they've known and take their family or go as a single to other lands and to other places to share this blessed and only gospel. So might I ask this morning, are there those in this room that you're wrestling saying, God, could it be me? God, would you send me to the nations? Why? Why would people even do that? Why, Blake? Why would someone consider it? Look what he says. For, here's the reason why. My name's sake. For the sake of the name. For the sake of the name who gave it all for us on the cross. Who gave his life for us. Maybe you hear this and you sound like, well, Blake, maybe it sounds like Jesus is saying I should never have fun. I should just walk away from everything. I think C.T. Studd, again, the missionary here, provides some great wisdom. Remember, again, he's this great cricket player. Listen to what he says. I do not say don't play games or cricket and so forth. By all means, play and enjoy them, giving thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did to me. What good will it do to anybody in the next world to have been the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls for Jesus. To those today here who are apart from Christ, I think the rich young ruler poses a question that you need to answer. How good is good enough? This man wanted to know that answer. How good Jesus is good enough? And Jesus says to him, perfection. Sinless obedience, not only to the law outwardly, but also inwardly. Today, listen, this scripture and the other scriptures show that you and I are never going to be good enough. The good news is, listen, is that Christ came on our behalf because we weren't good enough. He lives the perfect life that we should have lived. He obediently goes to the cross, dying not for his own sins, but for ours. He's buried on the third day by the power of God, raised again. It's the hope of the gospel to the unbeliever today. It's not Jesus plus something that equals salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation It is Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing else in that equation. It is Christ and Christ alone. Today I compel you to hear what is impossible with man is possible with God. To the church, to the believers, I think this text also poses to us one of two options. We, after hearing this truth, can do what the rich man failed to do. Bow down and worship. Or... You have the option, just like him, to turn and walk away sorrowful. I might ask today, just for my own soul, just being honest with you, I need to be asked, 
When's the last time that the scriptures, the Bible, came against some area of my life, the way I was living, and instead of turning from it or excusing it, I bowed in submission to it? I think the truth is, we all need to be honest today, that we're more like the rich young ruler than we're willing to admit. I found myself at times, right, offended by God's word or I've cooled off to God, maybe because things in my life didn't go the way I wanted them to go. Today, I'd invite you to come with me and just repent. Might we show unbelievers what it looks like to come to Jesus by repentance and faith? Just continuing that. That's not just something we did the moment we were saved, but we continue as believers to live lives of repentance and faith. A buddy of mine, he has this CT stud quote that I've shared with you before. It's hanging actually in his dining room, and it says these words. Only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that your spirit would speak unto our hearts. I pray, Father God, that you, by your grace, would speak that we would not harden our hearts and turn away from you in sorrow. Father, I pray for a humble surrender. Thank you, God, that you can do the impossible. No one here today is too dirty, too far gone. Nobody's messed up too much. Thank you, God, for the redemption that is available in Jesus Christ, the hope that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Please, Father, humble us in this place. Give us a desire to pray, to cry out to You. Father, strengthen us to bow and surrender to You. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.